right, y'all. This is like the last of a full pot of coffee for me. So we're going to be off to the races here this morning. Um, here we go. Yeah, I just got to get to the right. There we go. Oh, nope, I don't want that setting. Okay, here we go. Um, well, today uh, marks the second to last installment for us in our series called Saving Power, where we have been taking a look at Matthew chapters 8 and 9, where we find story after story describing a day in the life of a traveling rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus. But unlike other teachers, Jesus is doing incredible, supernatural acts of healing and deliverance in addition to his powerful teaching. Now, the writer's claim has been from the beginning and continues to be even today in what we're about to cover, that Jesus of Nazareth was and is the promised Messiah of the Jews, the son of David, that's a title that was given to the Messiah, the one who would come with a saving power to ultimately set all things right, which is a little hard to imagine, but isn't that a beautiful promise and, and good news for us today? Which is why in the gospel of account, Matthew writes in Matthew 4.23 that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, for Matthew, there is a connection for him between Jesus' preaching and his healing ministries. And the connection is ultimately the good news that God has seen us in our brokenness, and he's come to save us and make us whole again, both spiritually and physically. So for the past several weeks, we've looked at Jesus' saving power to work uh, to heal leprosy, uh, paralysis, and sickness of all kinds, uh, conquering storms, casting out demons, completely healing a man from the inside out through forgiveness and eventually walking. Uh, Jesus saved the woman with the issue of blood, and Jesus even raised a girl from the dead. Up until this point, all of Jesus' patients, so to speak, had been living, <laughs> and here's a, a dead girl, and so he raised her and brought her back to life. Now, the title for today's message, you can go to the next slide, is called Restoring Vision. Restoring Vision. Our main passage this morning is Matthew 9, 27 through 31, and the big idea that we're going to be exploring together today is that Jesus Christ moves in power according to our faith. That's going to be important later. Jesus Christ moves in power according to our faith. Um, and we'll see that in the witness of uh, some blind men who encounter Jesus. Now, think about this for a moment, that there are five basic tools that help every single one of us experience the world around us. They are our senses, right? Touch, sight, hearing, smell, and even taste. Uh, and no one of those senses is more important really than the other, but they all work together 
to help us participate with and understand our environment. Uh, when one of the five is missing or is impaired in some way, the others come to have a much greater value for each and every one of us as we go through our life. Um, I remember when I had contracted the Rona, um, I lost, my big symptom was I lost all sense of taste. And it was terrifying. <laughs> um, but I digress. So uh, I have it back, by the way. So here we go. Uh, praise God. Now, for just a moment, let's focus on what causes us to see, to physically see. You can go to the next slide. So the main parts of the eye, I got this diagram from John Hopkins University Online. So, you know, it's above me technically, but I read up on it. Now, there are some main parts of the eye that work together to bring us sight. Uh, they are the cornea, the pupil, the lens, the retina, and the optic nerve. And really, it all works together, but those are the main things that help us see things. Now, the eye, when it's open, kind of like the shutter on a camera, the light passes through the cornea, uh, which is that clear, it's not so clear on the diagram, that's orange, but uh, on your actual eye, it's clear. There's a clear layer um, at the front of your eye that helps the eye focus on the light that's just been let in. And then some of the light passes through the pupil, that's the dark part in the middle of your eye, um, that either expands or contracts at the control of the iris. That's the colored part. It's the beautiful part. Uh, now, uh, the iris, ultimately, it controls how much light the pupil lets in. So if you're in a dark room and you know all the lights are off, then your pupils are like extra large. And then when the lights suddenly come on, they dilate unless you have a concussion. <laughs> now, after the light, it comes through uh, you know, uh, the cornea, the, the pupil, uh, and then the light goes through the clear inner part of the eye called the lens, and the lens works with the cornea in, in tandem together to focus the light uh, on the light-sensitive tissue that's at the back of your eyeball called the retina. Now, when the light gets to the retina, the cells of the retina, um, photoreceptors, I think is what they're called, they turn the light into electrical signals, and those go from the retina to the optic nerve to the brain, and the brain turns that into information and tells you you're seeing an image. And all of that happens just because that's the way our eyes are designed to work. Isn't that amazing? We don't have to think about it. It just does that because that's what eyes are supposed to do. Now, one amateur photographer shocked his peers once upon a time. Uh, I found this illustration in a book uh, where, you know, the story goes that he told them he had the greatest camera in the whole wide world, saying, quote, it has a maximum aperture of F2, which means that it lets the most light in, automatically aims and focuses in half a second, automatically adjusts the aperture in uh, even less time. He says the color film on which it records is stereoscopic and self-renewing. After every exposure, the development time is a fraction of a second. Expensive, it's priceless. The human eye. Isn't that amazing to think about? 
that our eyes are so intricate and, and, and detailed. Now, that's the best-case scenario, and that's the common shared experience for most people in the world. It's a beautiful sentiment, and I, I can kind of wrap my mind around it, like when I Google it and uh, type it into Google and say, how does an eye work? And it, it tells me. But our eyes are intricately and delicately designed, and if just one thing breaks down, uh, as some of you who have glasses know, uh, you know, it affects our ability to see. I always wished I had glasses. When me and my sister, uh, we went in uh, to the optometrist together to get all tested out, I was the one who they said had perfect vision, and I was angry about it because I wanted glasses, darn it. And so, because all my major heroes, including my dad, had glasses. And so I figured, man, goodness, I want glasses, and here we are. But my sister was the one who was, I think she was near or farsighted, I can't remember. But one of the ones where she needed glasses part of the time. I digress. But he, here we go. So, you know, if they start breaking down, it affects how we we see. And some people are born with broken eyes. And some are broken later on in life due to some of those outside factors. And thankfully, uh, like some of us have experienced in the past week, I know uh, Richard's recovering from a, a procedure and some other people have visited uh, the optometrist lately. Uh, surprise, we're talking about vision. Uh, you know, thankfully, we have medical technology today and procedures have come a long way in the last hundred years or more. And there are doctors who devote their entire lives just to fixing the situations when our eyes break. But when we read the Bible about people who suffer from blindness, there was no medical remedy in the ancient world. Once you lost your sight, it was gone. There's no coming back from that you would be blind and would be utterly dependent on the kindness of those around you. Now, maybe we don't suffer from a loss of literal sight, but I would submit to you today that everybody is broken and in need of some kind of healing. So if Jesus Christ moves in power according to our faith, let's see what the Bible has to say through this encounter between Jesus and two blind men. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 27. If you don't have a physical Bible, that's okay. We have a digital one on the screen there. Uh, picking up in verse 27. Matthew continues saying, As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. 
the first thing I see in our passage, you can go to the next slide, is seeking mercy and finding Jesus. Seeking mercy and finding Jesus. So following the events at the synagogue ruler's house, Jesus, he's on his way back home, wherever he's staying at the time in Capernaum. Uh, we don't know how far of a distance this was. We don't know how long it took him to walk there. But at some point after raising the girl from the dead, the two blind men start following Jesus and crying out to him, making a scene saying, have mercy on us, son of David. And for these men, being blind would not have kept them from directly participating in community life. Uh, you know, with help, they could have gone to the local synagogue uh, to participate in, you know, weekly worship like we do here on a Sunday morning. Uh, they could have gone to temple. They could have gone to the different festivals. Also, based on what Matthew tells us, we don't know how long they'd been blind. They could have, uh, you know, it's possible that their condition was something that came on later in life. We might assume that by this point in their lives, they had learned uh, from the Hebrew scriptures. So uh, you can go to the next slide. I'm going to uh, start quoting a bunch of verses. There they are on the screen uh, for the reference points. But they would have heard things like this from Proverbs 20. Ears to hear and eyes to see both are gifts from the Lord. And that the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly from Psalm 146. They also would have learned about the time in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, when the prophet Elisha prayed to God to strike the Aramean army blind so that he could lead them to the city of Samaria. And then he prayed again to the Lord to open their eyes, and they were captured, and Israel won the victory that day. They would have heard prophecies from the prophet Isaiah saying, in that day, the deaf will hear words, read from a book, and the blind will see through the gloom and darkness. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from the prison releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. And these prophecies were ultimately pointing us to a day when God would send the Messiah, the Savior who would come and deliver the people and establish God's good kingdom here on earth. Isaiah also spoke of the Messiah being the son of David, that title given because of his lineage, uh, saying in Isaiah 9, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. And with the senses that they had, you know, they, they didn't have their sight, but they had their ears, and they had their, hopefully, their sense of taste and smell and, and touch and all that. And they see in Jesus, through what they can experience, all the qualities and the fulfillment of the Messiah that they had been waiting for. They followed Jesus, desperate for healing and calling out to him for help, seeking the compassionate help that the son of David was said to bring. 
And yet Jesus didn't answer them. They were publicly persistent, and he was publicly silent. Sometimes we come to God in our need, and all we hear is crickets. In those times when we're seeking God's mercy, some benevolent act that can help our circumstance, the silence, is sometimes meant to bring us to the place of knowing that God is enough. Even if the outcome we're seeking never comes, connection with God is enough to keep us going. So the blind men, they sought mercy from the son of David, but through their action of following, their faith probably started to deepen a little bit and their resolve solidified that they would persist until Jesus responded. The truth is that Jesus Christ moves in power according to our faith. But in our lives, this aim, his aim, is to resolve more than our temporary needs, like restoring the men's vision. Jesus is really after restoring our hearts and our eternal standing before God the Father. And so another thing I see in our passage, you can go to the next slide, is unwavering trust in Jesus' goodness. Unwavering trust in Jesus' goodness. When Jesus got back to where he was staying, keep in mind, he hasn't responded according to Matthew's gospel yet. He, he hasn't engaged them yet, but they're following him. The blind men followed him to that place, and Jesus finally gives an answer. And he did it with a question. He says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Now, up to this point in the Bible, there's been no record of someone, some healer, healing eyes that are broken. Even though it, it wasn't a terminal condition, it was incurable. Even the story in 2 Kings was a momentary supernatural thing. It wasn't a record of someone with a permanent condition of blindness being restored. So, equal to the synagogue leader's request to raise the girl from the dead, the mercy that these men were asking Jesus for was empirically impossible. No one had ever done this before, but in light of what the scriptures had said, healing blind eyes was something the Messiah would do. And in that place, Jesus pressed these men in order to test their faith. Did they really believe? Not only that he was the son of David, because they're crying out there. I mean, when, when you're in a desperate situation, you can call out anything you want. God, I'll do this. God, I'll do that. God, I believe in you. Even if I don't believe in you, I'll say I believe in you if I can have this thing, right? They can claim he's the son of David, but do they really believe? Did they really believe he was actually able to do it? And they replied, yes, Lord. Now, for these two men, they give two simple words with great implications. So first, they affirm with a positive yes, Jesus can do the impossible. They had heard all about what he'd been doing. 
We can infer that in the text. They must have heard by this point. Otherwise, why would they follow Jesus? He's just some guy, unless they had heard that, wow, here's this Jesus who's been healing a bunch of people, and it's kind of impossible stuff that hadn't been done before. So yes, Jesus can do the impossible. He wields a saving power unlike anything we've ever witnessed in our lives. Yes, Jesus is able, but then they go on and they say, yes, Lord. When they call him Lord, this was more than just formally addressing Jesus as sir or master, like you would give to somebody as a, 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 a term of respect. The way they use the title of Lord links the person and the power of Jesus with the authority of God himself. So in their answer, we see an unwavering trust in Jesus' goodness. They didn't give up. I believe we see that they believed in Jesus' goodness because they kept on going in their persistence, in, even when Jesus was silent. They showed an unwavering trust that was placed squarely on who they believed Jesus to be and what they believed Jesus could do. And the truth is that Jesus Christ moves in power according to our faith because ultimately faith reveals whether we actually trust him or not. Whether he gives us what we want or not. Is God still good even when the answer is no? Faith rests on the character of the one we put our trust in. The blind men had this insight. Can the same be said for us this morning? The third thing I see, you can go to the next slide, is become what you believe. Become what you believe. I know that sounds a little weird, but I'll unpack that. So Jesus had taught in the Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Uh, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We covered that a number of weeks ago. And with in that section, Jesus says, if, uh, if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, will you give him a stone? Uh, if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then you're, who are evil know good gifts to give to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And the Bible also teaches us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God is a good Father. We've talked about that this morning. That's been referenced in our prayers. He gives good gifts to his children, and these men were no exception. Jesus responded by saying, according to your faith, let it be done to you. According to your faith, let it be done to you. Let's unpack that. What does according mean? Because that, that could be a loaded word. Some of you may have even like had some you know, heart palpitations, like, oh man, where are we going with this this morning? What does according mean? So these men, they'd already shown and spoken their faith, compared to the disciples in Matthew chapter 8. These men had great faith right? I mean, they followed Jesus even when they're blind. That's, that's pretty wild. And each of these encounters that we've covered show us 
the readers that faith ultimately plays an important role in experiencing God's saving power. But from what we've seen so far, it's not the measure or the amount of faith, rather, that a person has that moves the hand of God. It's simply faith, both great and small. So when Jesus says according, he's not saying proportionate to your faith. Like, well, if you have this much faith, you get this much, but if you have this much faith, watch out. It's going to be really good, right? It's just because you have faith. That's what he's really saying, because you have faith. Now, the next phrase, there's a couple of implications that go along with it. The first and most obvious one, because these guys are blind, is, uh, you know, that Jesus is granting their healing because of their faith. Jesus Christ moves in power according to our faith. These men had faith, and therefore they had the opportunity to experience the power of God to move on their lives. But another implication is that this is a faith that actually transforms. More than just some mental assent that we can think about and check, believe, I got it, I, I understand, I know, this knowledge, information, these men rather believed at their core that Jesus was the Messiah and that he had the power and authority to heal. Jesus' aim was not to convince them or others of this information. He was after their transformation. So while we read the phrase, let it be done to you, that verb that's used there is actually better understood as the state of becoming, to be transformed, be transforming into that thing. It's an active and engaging word. And while it's true that the healing was something that happened to them as a passive way they were receiving the action, they were not just par passive participants in this encounter. Their faith plus Jesus' power resulted in their transformation, which means that Jesus' response may be better translated, become what you believe. So having touched their eyes and having spoken this word to them, Jesus Christ moved in power according to their faith, because they had faith. And this resulted in their restored vision. Broken eyes made whole again something that had never happened in the history of this world happened that day. And so just to recap, these men, they, they sought the mercy of Jesus. And first and foremost, they found him as a person that they could engage with. They found Jesus. And they found a deepening dependence on him as they continued to follow him. They showed an unwavering trust. I don't know, after the first couple of bumps down the, the street alleyway kind of thing, I, I don't, I'm desperate, but I, may, I might give up. <laughs> I might, you know, say, it's too much. Uh, I don't know this street very well. You know, Jesus is walking too fast. I don't know. But they showed an unwavering trust. They did not let go. They said, I will pursue Jesus, and I 
will seek him out for this unwavering trust in his goodness. And finally, become what you believe. I believe that there is a transformation in e for each and every one of us. Sometimes it, it's quicker on the uptake. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer, but I believe that each and every one of you has a story of where you were before you knew Jesus and where you are now. And while it's true that sometimes we can be a little ashamed of where we've been, at the same time, that's God's gift to you. That he brought you out of darkness. He opened your eyes so you could see. So that you could see the world around you for what it truly is, God's good creation the good that he has for your life, to be able to see him in that way and to look forward to that day with eyes of faith. And looking around, I know that each one of you, you have a story. And there might be some similarities between us here and there, but each one of you is unique. And Jesus, ultimately, he wants to... No, do you really believe I can do this for you? He wants to know, do you really believe? Or rather today, do you still believe? That maybe I could transform you back then, but maybe there's something that you're facing right now. There's something that's in your way. There's some you know, thing in your life that needs to be dealt with. Do you believe that Jesus can handle it for you? I can't answer that for you. That's something for you to chew on. But as we close this out, the encouragement that I have is that it doesn't take a large amount of faith. All it takes is a little faith. It, exactly. It just takes a little bit. So even just turning to him and saying, Maybe even like uh, the one story in the Gospels that says, you know, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, maybe that's you today. Wherever you're at, the encouragement for you is that God, he has a saving power. He wants to, to transform your life. Will you let him? Let's pray.